Hello, and welcome to Conversations at the Washington Library, a podcast about early American history and the people that teach it. In this episode, I'll sit down with our Vice President of Education here at Mount Vernon, Allison Wickens. A brief bit of housekeeping before the uh, interview, though. Uh, we are going to be talking about a lot of things with their education program. If you'd like to know more about that, you can visit our website at mountvernon.org education. And if you know any teachers, you should definitely share that with them as well. Uh, also, be sure to uh, follow us on social media at GW Books on Instagram and Twitter and at The Washington Library on Facebook. And uh, if you haven't already done so also, please do make sure to uh, rate and subscribe to this podcast. And without further ado, here's my interview with Allison Wickens. Hey, Allison. Well, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. Thanks, Joe. It's great to be here. So uh, just to, to start off, I know we get a lot of questions from um, some of our listeners that are that are uh, – you know, aspiring public historians or, or folks looking to get into the, the museum world. Uh, would you take a brief moment to sort of walk us through your background and how you got uh, to be here at Mount Vernon? Sure, sure. Um, I'm one of those people that loves history but hates research. Shh, don't tell the historians that. <laughs> um, and so I was really thrilled as a history major in undergrad to discover a museum education mm-hmm. where I got to work in partnership with curators and experts in history topics. Um, but my job was to make that history accessible to visitors from ages 3 to 93. Um, and that was really fun for me, and that was really sort of what started me off on my career to really engage in historic scholarship, but not do the research, but really make it accessible. Um, so I moved you know, from the Midwest out to Washington, D.C. I worked 20 years at the Smithsonian Institution at a variety of different history museums there. Um, again, when I went to grad school thinking about how much I loved history, hated research, got my master's degree with a non-thesis requirement. <laughs> so once again, ma- being able to navigate great historical scholarship and um, and having the priority be sharing it with others. Mm-hmm. So I came to Mount Vernon four years ago, really attracted to the program um, because it allowed me to take, you know, I was doing really broadly at, a, at one of the Smithsonian Museums, thinking about educators across the board, thinking about education for museum visitors and um, school groups and teachers and professionals. But here at Mount Vernon, my work was really honing in and focusing in on what do K-12 schools need mm-hmm. across the country. So it allowed me to narrow my my audience focus as well as narrow the subject I was working on, uh, George Washington and the 18th century world that he lived in. Um, but at the same time, sort of with the um, rich network and opportunities that Mount Vernon offered me, really expand what we could do to support them. So that's a little bit of my history. Mm-hmm. Happy to talk further about any of those moments along the way, but... Yeah. Well, I think, you know, it's, uh, I think a lot of people, when they think of Mount Vernon, you know, they think of the mansion, right? Mm-hmm. Which, you know, yeah, it's our marketing department does does that on purpose. Uh, but they may not realize just the scale of uh, the education program, and especially like the, 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 the partnerships with teachers and, uh, and, and continuing education uh, that Mount Vernon does, which is, you know, national in scope. Uh, I think a lot of people think of Mount Vernon as a place you come to. And probably don't realize like the organiza- how much the organization actually uh, pushes out 
to the other, you know, to uh, across the 50 states. Could you sort of walk us through the education department here? Sure. Yeah, The um, it's great. I mean, Mount Vernon has been a field trip destination for millions of kids mm-hmm. over its, you know, 150-plus years. Um, and even today, we welcome 300,000 kids a year um, to field trips here. But about 20 years ago, um, the Mount Vernon Ladies Association really decided that they wanted to be um, a place to reach kids who couldn't come here on field trips? How could Mount Vernon work to support the teaching of George Washington and his world in classrooms around the country? And so um, that, you know, out of that conversation was born a new uh, programming effort to do teacher professional development where we brought teachers from across the country to Mount Vernon for an immersive experience. Um, And that program was uh, tied with the opening of the Education Center, um, the um, Teacher Resource Center, and um, what became, not 20 years ago, but uh, what became the great digital resources we have um, that teachers and students have access to online. So um, all of those programs um, help shape and form the education department today. Four or five years ago, the education department officially moved into the library. Uh, the National Library is here for um, you know outreach mm-hmm. to the world. And... Um, our commitment um, as as a library department is that we're taking the most current historical scholarship um, and the most current educational scholarship and really applying it to teacher professional development, to creating student resources, um, and into representing the stories uh, that we tell on site in locations around the country. Yeah, I mean, it's, I, I I will say like because I, I started I think what six months after you or thereabouts. Mm-hmm. Here at Mount Vernon, and uh, I think every summer I've ended up working one of the the teacher suit weeks, and I'm just always uh, amazed by the scale of what you all put on, and 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 it, it's really exciting for me to see sort of the uh, like you said, you know, the, the sort of the thoughtfulness that goes into uh, putting together, uh, you know, you that you, you all have the the lead scholar. Uh, that that you know is is oftentimes a senior scholar in the field in that particular topic, and then a, a, an educator facilitator that's been you know in a K through twelve classroom for for uh, decades, and I just find that such a fascinating um, partnership that really seems to work. I mean, uh, how did that model sort of come about? Yeah, I really see our department, because we're only a staff of four, I see us as uh, networking and that our job is to connect teachers to great resources um, and rely on um, historians like yourself on staff um, to be able to provide our teachers with great history content. And about four years ago, we we changed the model to the one you're referring to, where instead of just covering an overview of Washington's life for every teacher that came here, we really wanted to hone in um, and pick a specific theme or topic that would allow George Washington to actually hit a broader section of the curriculum that teachers would be able to teach. So instead of just looking at Washington overall his life, if we focused in on Washington as a military uh, leader um, and looked at military history in the 18th century, um, we'd be able to um, hit on a lot of different standards that teachers have um, and requirements that they have rather than just the ones that Washington's directly connected mm. to. And that brings us to sort of our lead scholar model. So we wanted to bring in a scholar who is an expert in military history to really think through what's the current scholarship happening um, in that perspective. And again, a teacher that can really drive how does this apply and how do, how do, how do 
teachers teach this material in the classroom. So we have six different themes um, with a, a pair of scholar and, and teacher facilitators uh, for each one of those themes. And again, because we're the experts in connecting people um, and they're the experts in the historical the, or the education pedagogy, um, I think that's the best program model for us to continue moving forward. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, well, so we mentioned the military aspect. What are the other themed weeks? Oh, so we have uh, the military themed week. We have a leadership, teaching leadership. We have um, the history of slavery. We have Washington and um, politics, the founding of the U.S. government. Um, we have Washington and business and looking at him as an entrepreneur. And then uh, finally, we do Martha Washington and women of the 18th century as well. Right. And, and, uh, I mean, I know this is a national program in scope. You know, how many how many teachers do you all bring in? You know, I don't remember if we've actually said how many teachers come in each week yet. Or no, no, uh, um, we. And it's not just over the summer, right? There's there's a fall and a spring as well. Yeah, although we have six themes, we do run eight programs a year: one in the spring, one in the fall, and six in the summer. Uh, for each one of those, we select uh, twenty teachers to attend. So we bring hundred and sixty teachers on each year um, to give them this immersive and intensive experience. And when we bring um, such a limited number of teachers, well, one hundred and sixty is a lot. For a staff of four. Um, but when we think about making a, an impact in nationwide in the teaching practice of Washington, um, 160 teachers doesn't take you that far. So we're really asking these teachers when we accept them and bring them to the program that they think not only of how they're going to transform their teaching of their own students, but what they're going to bring to their teaching community mm -hmm. um, and how we require them to do a professional development session um, that um, has them take the best of what they learned with us and bring that to the teachers in their community at the district or statewide level. And what, uh, I mean, I know you all do, it, it's, it's K-12, but what, what is sort of demographically the breakdown of uh, the, the, the age of instruction that most of these teachers are or doing, or how does that? It tends to be pretty, um, pretty equally distributed between elementary, middle, and high school. Um, some of the themes vary. Like mm -hmm. we get a lot more high school teachers that apply for the civics um, mm -hmm. oh, yeah, and government week when we talk about the founding of the U.S. government. Um, and we get we get more teachers uh, really it, um, from the elementary level actually applying for the business and entrepreneur week, um, which seems surprising. Yeah, huh. But then when you think about how diverse Washington's business ventures were, um, and it engages a lot with uh, STEM-based learning and mm. interdisciplinary science and art and history integration, which is something that actually elementary teachers are a lot more yeah. um, capable of adopting in their classroom. So that was a surprise to us, but we see why it's attractive. But a general I'd say always a few more middle school teachers than everybody else, but about a third, a third, a third. And what do you find uh, when these teachers come here that they're looking for? Well, I'm always interested in learning that from them. Mm -hmm. And after doing this program now, we're in our fourth summer with, with uh, this new model, I find that teachers are looking for three things. Um, they're looking for deep, rich content. Um, and that's, that's, that's our jam. Like that's what we know we have here for any visitor that comes, um, is it a chance to learn deeply about the 18th century. Um, but they're also looking for ways to immediately apply that to their classroom. They, um, they want us to do some of the lifting. They don't just want to come here and study. Mm -hmm. uh, they want to leave with an idea of how they can immediately apply it uh, to change their student learning. And the third thing that I've really learned through observation and evaluation is they're really looking for a, 
a community, a community of shared best practice. Um, we love to see these groups of 20 teachers um, still in touch with each other, still checking in with each other um, as they um, move back to their classrooms. And even two, three years later, um, still looking at that group of 20 people as, as someone they can trust and count on as they try new things. We really want teachers to take new risks with the content that we deliver them with them. And it's nice to see that um, community be a big part of what we can offer them. Yeah, I know uh, a few of the teachers that I have remained uh, in touch with that, that, that were in um, programs I'd helped with. It's always fun to see when, when the new uh, teachers come about, they immediately go and like, find out which teachers from their state are, are coming and you know, immediately bring them into like, the, the little club. Which the is, fold. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's you know, like travel tips to Northern Virginia and also, you know, Rah, by, rah. By, by, yeah, also let's make sure to stay in touch so we can continue to sort of uh, talk about uh, new things. Um, and I'll just add one yeah, more yeah. thing about that community building because it... They can just start an alumni program, right? Or, yeah, and the more we can support that community network, it's great when it happens, you know, just because mm-hmm. they're here. But the more that we can support that, the more effective we are at making an impact within the state. Um, because so when I hand them their graduation certificates at the end of the week, it also comes with a list of the alumni from the last two, three years from their state. And we're excited that in 2019, next year, we're going to be hosting our very first reunion. Um, it'll be the 20th anniversary of the program. Like I said, it started in 1999 uh, with a class from Mississippi and a class from Massachusetts. That was fun culture clash, I'm <laughs> sure. Um, and so we're going to be welcoming everybody back here July 4th, uh, 2019. Um, yeah, sorry. I'm just trying to think through like what the, the, the M&M Conference of Mississippi and Massachusetts must have been like that. Yeah, as a, as a native Louisianian, that had to be something. Um, well, you know, when you when you found when you switched over to the the topical model, um, and it, this is sort of a loaded question. I mean, obviously, certain topics are going to be more difficult to to, to talk about um, than others. Um, you know, part of slavery being, I think, for for most people, the most difficult topic mm-hmm. to sort of bring up. Um, and and how has that um, been going? Or or how do how do you all uh, talk to teachers about talking about the history of slavery in the United States? Yeah, um, you bring up slavery uh, specifically, and I think it's a good one. And I think it, it goes in tandem with some of the challenges that we approach during Leadership Week, because a lot of times one of the biggest challenges in talking about leadership is Washington as a slave owner. Mm-hmm. So um, we we like or lack of leadership. You know, but no, no, no. I I mean, we like um, helping the 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 teachers take that face on. And we just finished a week on talking about slavery in Washington's world with a group of teachers. Um, And the first thing we do is just set community ground rules. Mm -hmm. Um, We want to make sure everybody comes, you know, from a really comfortable place and create a safe space to ask what may seem like really stupid or offensive questions, um, you know, about situations that they're facing in their classroom. Um, We pull from a wide variety of geographic locations, and we had teachers from Georgia and teachers from Michigan and teachers from inner city New York City this past week, all of which bring radically different experiences and teach groups... um, from radically different, you know, backgrounds. And so we really want the um, 
the questions to be uh, generated at the beginning of the week um, in terms of what are the barriers for you to teach about slavery. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, some teachers said, I don't know what to do uh, when I have a majority white class with one or two black students and everybody looks at them and asks, okay, how, what do you guys think about slavery? You know, yeah. you know. So, um, but how do I respect their cultural, um, you know, connections to the subject matter? So um, that's our strategy: is um, get those questions out early, and then in reference to some of the other things I talked about, we want to provide that deep content. So we really focus on the topic of slavery as it. Um, what does it look like legally in the in the 18th century? What does it look like economically? What does it look like socially? Um, and we bring that right up to the 21st century. We want to make sure that teachers feel comfortable understanding the content that connects uh, slavery in the 18th century to racial injustice in the 21st century today. And then the third strategy, again, going back to being able to immediately apply it in their classroom. For slavery in particular, we want them to be looking at the primary sources. And the research um, that's been done for the exhibition work here at Mount Vernon on slavery provides us with such great primary sources to give the the teachers when they go back to their classroom, if there are parents or administrators or students who push back on their interpretation of slavery, they can present these primary sources and say, well, let's look at what people in the 18th century did or found or, or discovered. And so they we want them armed with the source material that historians use today. Uh so, I mean, I, I think uh, one of the other sort of anecdotal conversations I've been having with, with teachers lately, um, you know, it seems like the other topic that's become more difficult to discuss uh, that, you know, we have a whole week on is politics. Mm-hmm. Um, and have you found that the um, those, conversation, those conversations have changed uh, over the past few years or... We had actually had a residential program on the teaching of politics the week of the uh, election in 2016. <laughs> did we um, do that on purpose? We or? did not do that on purpose, <laughs> but it, it worked out for our yeah. schedules to have it that week. It was really exciting um, and engaging. And the teachers at that point um, were more focused on the last four months. Um, again, um, getting uh, administrative, parental, and student pushback mm-hmm. on, um, on on topics that um, that could be interpreted as um, politically biased, Mm -hmm. um, favoring one party over another. Um, Again, that's where sometimes the distance of the historical scholarship, uh, the temporal or or time difference, allowing you to engage party development in the 18th century, um, gives students the opportunity to... um, to reflect on contemporary issues without directly being instructed on them. Um, And so if we can allow the teaching of 18th century political history to open doors on how parties were founded, Mm -hmm. um, what really is at odds between a local control of government and and national oversight, um, those things that, you know, emerge out of the Whiskey Rebellion, yeah. uh, those things that emerge, um, you know, from the, the early precedents that Washington set as president um, and that the Constitutional Convention sort of ra- grappled with. Um, the more students can understand that history, the more they have perspective on the 21st century events that are going on. Yeah, I know... Um for for our listeners that have uh, either played B Washington yet, and if you haven't, you should go play. Go uh, play B Washington. B Washington. B Washington. dot org, uh, or Mount Vernon. dot org slash B Washington. Either one will get you there. Uh, 
you know, it was it was it was funny for for myself and uh, well now our president and CEO Doug Bradburn because uh, we were writing the scripts for that right in the middle of the election and it was, it was funny. It's like you're 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 reading about like or you're you're writing the scripts for like the Whiskey Rebellion <laughs> and it's state for you know it's it's local versus federal control right or or you you're you're doing uh, the Genet affair and it's about you know foreign influence in American domestic politics and you're like wow this is this is still relevant woo! today. We picked a good yeah, but <laughs> it's but it's interesting right? because because at the same time and I and I wonder if you've uh, found this in your teachers programs. Um, you know, yeah, okay, George is totally a federalist, even if he's not ever going to admit that he was a federalist. But ostensibly, right, Washington is uh, the only nonpartisan president. You know, he's the only president to not officially be a part of a political party. Um, does that change that conversation at all? Or, or have you not? Have you? It's a good question. I mean, I think... It's it's more that we're the parties are know. nascent, yeah. right? You know that that um, it's not that he didn't choose one or another. I think yeah. oftentimes uh, teachers uh, treat it the party system doesn't exist at yeah. that point. So it's um, and maybe it doesn't exist because he didn't choose a side. Mm-hmm. I leave that to the historians yeah. to draw conclusions about. Um, but I think you know one of the things that I like about our program is that. Um, we trust teachers to take the information that we share with them and figure out the best way to integrate that into the communities in which they live. Mm-hmm. Um, because if if we're not a one-size-fits-all school system uh, by any yeah, <laughs> way, yeah. shape, there's no national education. Um, educations are defi- systems are defined by the state and the district and sometimes even smaller levels. And so um, we want our teachers who come here um, to, to leave with great, powerful resources that they can figure out the best way to use within their communities. And, and that's why we want to do the content as well as the skills and the community building. So to go back to your question about politics and, and political, um, they love Washington when we're doing this, um, when we're doing the week on politics or leadership, where we really engage in political leadership as well, um, because he provides... Um, a central um, touch point mm-hmm. for sort of how politics has changed over time. Um, it gives them an origin point. It gives them sort of a perspective um, taking um, that not only allows them to see um, presidential leadership as it changed over time, but also um, how it was defined within the era. One of the things I love about B. Washington, and I'll totally plug it too, um, is that it, it gives students the opportunity and teachers as well to see that Washington wasn't just a static figure um, making decisions in rote sort of order. Mm-hmm. Um, because we provide the multiple perspectives in that interactive, um, we show that um, his decisions could have gone a different way. Um, students have increased historical empathy for Washington because they recognize how difficult the choices that he made were, instead of those choices just happening and them learning the dates yeah. and times uh, for a test. Um, we, we've, when we pilot tested that program, I saw the angst on the students' faces um, <laughs> as they were trying to decide what they would do yeah. um, and not try to guess what Washington did. And that's, I think, um, how, why that works, that interactive works so well, because they really put themselves um, in his... Um, in in his you know seat in his boots, I think I think we use boots in the in the, in the copy on the exactly episode. exactly um, in, well, his, in his little buckle shoe. Yeah. Well, and I, I think B. Washington also gives a nice segue uh, here that was was not planned at all. Um, but two, you know, th- this isn't just a, a fun interactive we put online. Um, 
it was specifically designed with classroom use in mind so you can have an entire classroom use it uh, with each other so that a teacher, a facilitator, a teacher can can get the analytics for um, how many people chose which option. But then, you know, your staff has created some amazing teaching materials that go along with it to help that instructor sort of then ask follow-on questions uh, and go even more into it. And, and I think that's sort of a nice lead-in for, you know, the the... So the stuff you all do isn't just even for people coming here, but you all produce a tremendous amount of material uh, and even sometimes go yourself out across the country to uh, promote that material. So would you like to talk about some of that? Yeah, we were really excited to uh, create materials for B. Washington. In particular, with that example, we wanted people to have access to the primary sources um, and the and the portraits of the people who um, who are advising Washington. We were really thinking about how do we help a teacher connect this to um, a historical analytical experience um, not, and move beyond um, the interactive experience. So, um, again, because I I think of myself and our staff as sort of being the networks. Mm-hmm. Um, we often rely on you and our new media team here really to be creating great resources. Our job is to connect them and to create good resources um, so that they can be easily adopted in the classroom. Um, and so, uh, yeah, we have a whole uh, lesson plan page. You can easily sort by grade um, or by subject matter um, or by uh, process. So lots of themes, um, lots of different ways you can sort our lesson plan page um, and, um, and as well a primary source page. Um, and we really work hard to um, identify the primary sources that teachers are already using mm-hmm. um, and then provide some interactive text so that students, when they use that primary source online, um, they can read some historical interpretation right there floating um, in, the, in the script. We also provide transcripts for those 18th century historical documents in case you were concerned. Um, we want to make sure that students um, can read them whether or not they're skilled at 18th century cursive or not. Um, I'm not even sure. I, I've spent years looking at them. I'm not even sure that I'm skilled at 18th century <laughs> cursive yet. So I appreciate your transcripts, too, at times, I'll admit. Um, and, of course, being Mount Vernon, um, one of the things that we really uh, focus on and one of the aspects of our, our resources for classes is to make sure that people are thinking about primary sources, not just as documents. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we want people to be thinking about objects as primary sources and giving them support to help their students analyze objects, images, um, and what's most important to us, historic buildings and places. Because uh, as you said at the beginning of this podcast, um, you know, the house is, mm-hmm. is object number one. Yeah. Um, and how do we read that house? So uh, when we do go out around the country and we do regional workshops, uh, usually five to ten a year um, in different states around the country, we try to find a cultural partner um, who has a historic location or a great collection of objects or documents that really allow us to, um, to help teachers see the historic resources in their own community, as well as the connections of those resources to George Washington and our content-based mission. Um, and it's just so great that... Um, our new media team and the library here is uh, producing the digital encyclopedia um, that just never stops, um, as well as, you know, things like the virtual tour. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that hardly needs any lifting from our education department, aside from just pointing to it, um, both of those resources, and just say these are great resources. Um, and teachers, in their hands, figure out the best way to use those with their classes. 
Um, I mean, it, you've you've alluded a few times to uh, to state standards or whether local standards or district standards. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, how does that change your your mission, or how do you uh, how do you have to navigate that system? Yeah, I think there's two strategies that we use. Um, One is we really try to stay on top of large trends. Um, Since we can't really um, write curriculum for each individual state or um, local um, district, we look at sort of where the trend in social studies education is going, um, or uh, as well as ELA, English language um, arts, um, because a lot of our resources, especially document and object-based ones, are great for ELA Mm -hmm. teaching. And the trend that we're really focusing on right now is this um, skill-based instruction and really making sure teachers feel comfortable teaching their students how to think like historians, how to see a primary source, how to interpret it, and how to draw conclusions from it, and how to integrate it into their own perspective on the past. So that's, you know, as, as states are revising their standards, they're all including the skill-based instruction. So as we're moving forward with increasing our resources for teachers, we're watching that trend. Um, and I like to say that we are um, not targeting towards any public versus private schools or um, you know, 12th graders versus second grade schools. We want to just make our resources, specifically the primary sources that we have available and the tools on how to use those um, because that's, that's the trend we see. The second thing that um, I've alluded to is also this network that we're building of teachers um, across the country um, in almost every state. We're having our first Alaska teacher and our first Idaho teacher coming this summer. Um, but this, this network, no Hawaii yet. Uh, you, you heard that Hawaii. <laughs> Looking for a Hawaii applicant. Um, but we have this nationwide net- network of teachers who we work really hard to connect to our themes, our content, and, um, and George Washington as an individual actor in the 18th century. And, and we look to them to, to connect that to where their schools and their districts are going. And that's, that's really a strategy that we have um, with that public, um, or excuse me, that professional development requirement that we have, because we're not going to be going to every state in the country to do regional workshops, but we are going to have people in every state in the country mm-hmm. doing regional workshops. And they're going to be able to see our content through their district's eyes and be like, this is the professional development my, my district needs. So, now is this the master facilitator program, or is that something different? It's a, that's um, where we want to go next with okay. this program. So, uh, right now, the program I was referring to is simply the uh, alumni from our residential mm-hmm. program. Um, but um, I, ideally, what we're currently um, developing a model for and fundraising for is a program called the Mount Vernon Master Educator Program. Um, and with this program, we would actually be able to provide funding and programmatic support for teachers who are making an impact in their community. So instead of just them fulfilling their requirement for us, we would be able to identify the strongest of those um, networked uh, educators who are bringing our mission to their community and fund the work that they're doing. Great. Now, and, you know, I, I hope, dear listener, that you're, you know, like I said, with the, at the top of this uh, podcast, the point of this was to sort of give you just a, 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 a thumbnail sketch of yeah. everything this four-person department is doing. Uh, which is insane uh, in some ways, the, the scale of what you all managed to achieve. Which um, we couldn't do without the help of our research we, scholars it, and all the takes, people. It takes a takes village. A village. Um, 
And so sort of two things. One, uh, we'd love to have you back uh, again to sort of dig into some maybe specific issues be great. Uh, with the content because we, we don't have time for that today, unfortunately. But we figured, you know, we could introduce you to our listeners with a nice sort of broad uh, overview. But for, for everyone listening right now that is just angstily trying to figure out how do I sign up for these programs or, or you know, tell my teacher about it or, or tell my, my child's teacher about it, where can... Uh, and we're going to put all this information on the show page as well, the episode page as well. But uh, if they just want to go hit the Googles right now, uh, where where should they go to? MountVernon.org slash education. Um, and education is a high-level navigation mm-hmm. bar on our homepage as well. Um, there you're going to find a lot of things. But if you, if you navigate to um, the Four Teachers page, that's really where you're going to dive into a lot of the things I talked about today, um, including the lesson plans, the primary sources, and our professional development opportunities. So you teachers from Hawaii, you can find mm-hmm. the link there. I just realized we didn't even have time to, to bring up the Teacher Fellows Program. Well, I hope that one of the yeah. things I can do with you, Joe, is bring a teacher fellow or two by the microphone here um, and get them to talk a little bit about their projects. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah. Well, Allison, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Wonderful. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Conversations at the Washington Library. Be sure to subscribe and follow this podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.